Welcome to Spirited, a podcast about ghost stories, the paranormal, and belief. An investigation not into the validity of paranormal folklore, but into the rationale behind it. We embarked on this journey not really knowing what to expect. Three Northwestern undergrads studying all sorts of things that have nothing to do with ghosts. The concept of Spirited was born out of a late night at our dorm spent discussing haunted sites near Chicago. Then it unfolded into a question of belief, why ghost stories resonate so strongly across all different cultures. Finally, our scope of interest moved to New England, where it's pretty easy to drive across three states in one day, much unlike the West and Midwest, which our team was accustomed to. We were just some friends freestyling a dream, until we actually got funding. Northwestern University sponsored our team, myself, Sarah Walther, audio extraordinaire Jared Svonner, and our resident academic, Elias Passes. With my studies in the Medill School of Journalism and Jared's skills with a mic and audio musical editing, Spirited was born. But it wasn't until we left campus in a tiny Toyota Corolla and headed to the Northeast that our dream started moving on its own two legs. And so here we are, a plucky bunch eager to learn just what makes a ghost story believable. Over our road trip to five cities, we hope to uncover that, and we hope you'll stay with us for all the juicy twists and turns in belief we might just run into. stop is Newfane, New York. Newfane is a town in the northwest corner of New York State, not too far from the Niagara Falls. It's a small, homey community, one of those towns where coffee shops with Wi-Fi are hard to come by. The town actually got its name from an early settler, who dubbed the marshy area south of Lake Ontario Newfane after her Vermont hometown. That settler was Abigail Van Horn, who was the wife of a wealthy businessman and politician named James. James Van Horn built the Van Horn family mansion in Newfane after spending most of his life in Seneca County, New York, building an empire during a time of war. The Van Horns officially moved to Newfane when they no longer felt threatened by disease or the British Army. The year was 1823. The Van Horn mansion has long been a site of interest within the community. It housed local political and religious meetings in its early years and even became a restaurant at one point. While the mansion has been passed down and sold to several different families over the years, what drew us to Newfane was the Van Horn family itself. Of James Van Horn's nine children, two sons remain notable. The first is Bert, who served as a congressman spanning the Civil War. He also owned the mansion at one point and worked on the family farms. The other notable Van Horn child is James Jr., the eldest son of James and Abigail Van Horn. James Jr. inherited his father's skill with business and took over the family empire when James Sr. retired. He married a woman named Melinda Niles in 1836, when she was about 20 years old. But less than a year after their marriage, tragedy struck. 
Melinda Niles was declared dead under rather mysterious circumstances. Rumors online allege that James Jr. murdered her by shoving her down a staircase, perhaps after discovering her affair with a servant or that she was infertile. Other theories assert that it was suicide or the grim result of childbirth. Uh, so basically, uh, back to the other thing, the children, um, James, C, James Jr. actually, um, he, he married Melinda Niles. And, and she was the one that the main spirit yeah. is of the house. So basically, what you see on, on the computer and what you see in stories isn't all true. It's actually not factual. Um, to get the facts is, we can't find anything on Melinda Niles. As far as, the only thing that we have proof of is there was a Melinda Niles Van Horn. Over the years, Melinda has become the Van Horn Mansion's haunted namesake. When the mansion was burned in a fire in 1837, Melinda's grave is said to have disappeared. Soon after, her burial site was completely forgotten, and with no final resting place and a rather mysterious cause of death, it's said that the ghost of Melinda Van Horn haunts the family mansion to this day. But Melinda was not anywhere they dug up the family. She was not anywhere to be found, um, anywhere in the family cemetery or around the family cemetery. Rumors of the haunts at Van Horn Mansion started spreading in the early 1900s, when locals began to report seeing Melinda staring at them from an upstairs window. Those driving past the mansion have also described skidding off the road to avoid hitting a girl on the highway, but the girl quickly vanishes. Hearing all of these legends, our team was eager to tour the mansion for ourselves. Led by newfane historians and ghost enthusiasts, Mindy, Rose, and George, our team got to see the inside of this infamous estate. Rose starts the tour. Rose is a small, sweet woman, probably in her 60s. Her work at the mansion and with the Historical Society seems to be a kind of outlet for her. Rose mentions to us the importance of local history. She's passed down her interest in Newfane to her daughter, Mindy, who also leads us on the tour. Mindy is younger and spends the first half of our visit chatting with a friend about the town. After growing up around local history, she's become something of a record keeper for the mansion. Then there's George. He's a retired man with a booming personality. He's huge on photography and happens to show us almost as many pictures of his family as of ghosts. George's interest in the mansion is primarily ghost-related. He even hosts seances in the carriage house at the mansion and brings his buddies around the most haunted parts for a good time. On the tour, we first see the main house, which is two floors oozing with old money. There's also a basement, which is much darker and more eerie. The basement is supposedly more haunted than the main house, as is the attic. And on the summer day that we're touring, the attic rests at about 110 degrees. It's filled with spirit stories and features a photography room as well as a maid's quarters. As we enter the mansion, we see a quiet parlor off an elegant staircase. There sits an old piano piled high with postcards for sale and articles written about the mansion. Rose tells us that thousands of people enter the Van Horn Mansion each month, whether for its historical or paranormal lure. 
Every piece of furniture inside is donated, which she says accounts for the huge number of spirits inside. People ask me, you know, how many spirits are here? Multiple. Like you wouldn't believe. Everything that you see here as we go through the house actually was donated to us. Um, but as things come in and are donated, if we don't touch them and cleanse it before it comes in, usually artifacts like that old artifacts carry the spirits with them, the owners, the real owners. As we walked through the estate, this idea kept coming up good or evil spirits attaching themselves to objects. When we asked George how he differentiated the two, his answer wasn't exactly specific. So how do you normally judge whether it's a good or a bad spirit? <laughs> well, when I had my wife here, she had her hair pulled. She was almost thrown down the stairs in the attic one time when we were doing candlelight tours, and, and the spirit pushed her. George and Rose also told us about photographs they had of ghosts. Our team ended up looking through hundreds, scattered across the mansion and on George's digital camera. While some were more convincing than others, the bad luck surrounding these photographs was noteworthy. Rose's printer had ran out of ink, and the camera with the original photographs was stolen by ghosts, according to George. Here's Rose describing a photograph she printed out of an evil face that appeared in a glass piece of furniture in the mansion's basement. I don't know if you know basically how to determine whether it's good or evil. This one was evil, definitely, by looking at it. And um, it wasn't the only time that that picture had been taken of him. George shows us another printed out version of the picture later on, and there's no doubt it's creepy. It's an image of a saddle surrounded by glass to prevent tourists from touching it. Reflected in the glass adjacent to the saddle beneath it is a face. It's brighter than the glass with what looks like spikes protruding from the eyes and cheeks. There's no other way to put it. It's evil looking. Standing in the sunny dining room at the Van Horn Mansion, looking down at it, well, even then it was disconcerting to our team. But here's the thing. Even when we attempt to recreate the photo, the camera flash creates some odd patterns of light reflecting off the antiquated glass case, kind of similar to in the photo. Hearing George and Rose call it an evil spirit made this evidence more believable, that's for certain. It's hard to get away from the feeling that belief in this situation stems from the story behind it, and from the perspective of the storyteller. That could be true of belief in a lot of scenarios. In the basement of the Van Horn Mansion, the humid attic, the carriage house out back, Rose, Mindy, and George tell us about spirits of all kinds, which they believe come from the house's history, artifacts, and residents. As Mindy and Rose told us, Melinda's grave disappeared in the aftermath of a fire. But with the help of cadaver dogs in the 1990s, Melinda's bones were actually recovered at her burial site. Um, the gentleman in the picture is actually Special Forces um, Niagara County Sheriff's Department, and he had a cadaver dog. They bought him out one day because they knew they were missing someone from the family cemetery because we had the stone, but no idea where the actual remains were located. The cracked gravestone was returned to Melinda's original burial site, and her grave recovers there now. The following words are written on Melinda's gravestone. Sleep, Melinda, sleep. Where flowers bloom and zephyrs sigh, where I may come to shed the tear that streams unbid from sorrowing eye. It's said that there have been no sightings of Melinda since she received a permanent resting place in the 1990s. 
but it's still her legend that lures people to the Van Horn Mansion. It's still her name that resonates. But even in the time since Melinda's been laid to rest, Rose, Mindy, and George still feel spirits here. They each describe paranormal experiences in this very house, despite the fact that Melinda is supposedly at peace. George, for one, talks about Melinda's moving gravestone. It's laying flat east and west like this. So we're looking all of a sudden we say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And we realize instead of like this, it was like this on an angle like this facing that way. It's like something picked it up in the air and put it down. There was no dirt where you could force it. They had, oh, by the way, it had a 500 pound weight on it. So you can't just move that. You get quite the hernia trying to move that thing around. So we couldn't believe it. He shows us image after image of the stone and describes its subtle movement over the years. While it's hard to say just by looking at the pictures, George is really enthusiastic about this. We notice that George displays his belief in the paranormal via the photographs he takes, 300 of which he shows us eagerly as we sit in the mansion. I'll show you what's on this one. I got, I got so many pictures I had to put different uh, things in them. He calls himself the Orb King, thanks to his talent for capturing orbs with flash. Orbs are opaque spheres that appear sometimes on digital camera footage, especially when the flash is on. They come in an array of colors and are speculated by some to be concentrations of paranormal energy. But many people argue that orbs are just specks of dust. In old buildings especially, it's not uncommon to capture floating dust particles with the digital camera. On our tour, Rose expresses her disbelief in orbs. We're almost 200 years old here. And if we don't have dust, I'll be a monkey's uncle. We have a lot of dust. And basically 99% of the times that you think you see an orb, it's dust. Rose, on the other hand, discusses more than ghosts when it comes to the history of the house. She reasons that the Van Horn Mansion could have been a part of the Underground Railroad. She's excited about the idea. So basically, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Underground Railroad and the possibility of it might have happened here, but we don't have any positive proof um, because it was so illegal. Nothing yeah. could be left behind. Rose is a local historian. She's dedicated countless hours to the Van Horn Mansion, and so it's reasonable that she would explore the possibility that this place was involved in saving former slaves. As she said, however, there is little evidence to support this. Similarly, Mindy prides herself in her local history knowledge. She's participated in war reenactments for years, often right alongside her mom, Rose, and she tries to connect paranormal sightings at the mansion to historical events. When she saw a tall figure on the mansion's second floor, she investigated and feels strongly that it's the spirit of a man who was killed in a train crash right outside. Believe it or not, there was a trolley accident that occurred out front a long time ago, and he was about 21 years old. He was the only fatality. Um, his name was Richard, and he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. Richard was in the um, very back of the trolley car, and... Of course, it's wrong place, wrong time. Um, got pinned and eventually just bled out, unfortunately. Mindy's belief in the mansion's hauntedness stems from personal experience. As we tour the attic, she refuses to enter Van Horn's old photography room. I'm normally not a chicken. I don't like that one. Has anything happened in that room that especially? I've been touched in that room before and normally I don't get touched. 
She says she frequently hears and sees spirits, but is never touched, except for in the photography room. Hearing our guide talk about her own fears is moving. It, it makes us feel a shadow of what she might have experienced. While Jared and Eli go inside, I stay with Mindy. Spirits on the Van Horn estate tend to harass women, according to George. As we continue through the attic, the most haunted part of the house, Mindy tells us about other paranormal experiences she's had here. We did experience kind of like a phenomenon with growling for a while. Um, it was mostly in that area of the attic. And it was very deep growling. And it's not like it was coming from a corner. It would come up right next to you and you could feel it right here. Like, you know how when someone talks in your ear and it tickles? It's like that. The room where the growling occurred has been branded as the maid's quarters, although the space was actually meant for the valet at first. The room is small, painted a dandelion yellow. Shining in the room's sweltering heat is a mirror. It's the clear focal point of the small room, reflecting the image of a mannequin form holding an old-fashioned dress. The surface of the mirror has a large, noticeable dent in it, here, Mindy points it out and explains her skepticism for paranormal photography that utilizes mirrors. I am not one on mirrors, pictures on mirrors, um, mostly because I think it's a lot of matrixing and stuff, and they're old mirrors, and there's actually um, a material behind the mirror um, that could, over time, when the mirror wears out, it can actually kind of create a phenomenon in the mirror itself. Like, if you look at this one, it's dented. Oh. Yeah. It's got a dent in it. Not all of our tour guides at the mansion are on the same page on this. In fact, George shows us photographs of the very same dented mirror from the attic, but he asserts that the photographs capture ghosts. I call it the glob. 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of the time I take a picture, I get that, but it's moving around, okay? Then I take another picture, look what happens. You get all this, it turns black. The head gets a different color and almost where the head should be, it moved over. Mm -hmm. I got it moved this out of the way, and there it is right there. The head he's describing isn't super clear. The images show the dent in the mirror that Mindy pointed out, but which George calls a glob. He defines globs as clear orbs, or clear colored bits of distortion on an image. In the progression of the three images, which are taken facing the mirror and which show the room's reflection through the mirror, George removes the mannequin form from the background. The glob stays in the same place. But it seems that it's probably just the dent in the mirror distorting the image. And based off of what Mindy noted about the shortcomings of mirror photography, our team is a bit skeptical. We notice these contradictions between historians throughout our visit. For one thing, Mindy calls out the flaws in George's arguments. But Rose also voices that orbs are specks of dust over 90% of the time that they're found in photos. This in contrast to George showing us hundreds of images of what he believes are orbs. And when we both ask Mindy and George whether believers or non-believers have more paranormal experiences, they give us contradicting answers. This kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier, uh, but have you noticed whether like believers or non-believers have more paranormal experiences? Yes. So non-believers or believers? Believers have more than non-believers don't. And it's sometimes the non-believers turn into believers. You know, a lot of people are very um, criticizing of it all, but I think it's kind of funny because those are the people that usually end up getting 
having experiences, and they end up being shocked. So, really, you found that? Oh yeah. Of course, it's natural for the historians to have unique opinions. In fact, it indicates that our tour and interviews aren't simply a performance for them. But it also indicates that belief in ghosts is personal. It's tailored to one's experiences, interests, and desires. At the end of the day, we see that each of the local historians has a unique system of belief. George says he started believing when he was exposed to ghosts as a child but he didn't get involved in paranormal exploration until late in his adult life, in the 1990s at a Halloween haunted house hosted by the Van Horn Mansion. He seems to demonstrate his belief through photography and through retrospective analysis of ghost imagery. And that's me in there. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm walking through there and I, didn't, I couldn't see those. A lot of the stuff I don't see. Rose, too, cites personal experience as a driving factor behind her belief. She has seen and felt the difference between good and evil spirits, she says. We had a large, large, big, beautiful mirror upstairs in the attic. And the odd thing is, every time I went up there and I would stand in front of the mirror, you'd see six spirits above my head. Her interest in history is clear. To us, Rose supports her belief in ghosts with the history behind them, but she also seeks to apply potential history to the mansion, like in the case of the Underground Railroad. And the possibility of it might have happened here, but we don't have any positive proof. Mindy's the mansion's other main history buff. She's in the process of organizing countless historical documents from the area, and she spends her free time piecing together genealogies of the Van Horns and other local Newfane families. Her belief in ghosts also stems from experience. She recalls to us seeing, hearing, and smelling ghosts, and even being touched. Mindy takes a paranormal experience and then looks for the historical significance of it, as she did in the case of the tall black figure standing on the second floor. And, of course, it was the wrong place, wrong time. Um, got pinned, and eventually just bled out, unfortunately. Do you know who that was? When? It was yeah. around the turn of the century. I actually have the exact date downstairs. In this small town in western New York, belief in ghosts can be attributed to numerous factors. There's the prominence of paranormal figures like Melinda, whose family played a major role in Newfane's creation. There's also historical significance, which lures in history buffs like Rose and Mindy. For George, human interest and the ability to capture spirits on film substantiates belief. But for all of the people we spoke to, it seemed that personal experience dictated belief. I find that I'm one to, when when I'm being told a paranormal story, I'm not one to disagree. I'll, like, I'll listen to the story, I'll agree with what the person's saying verbally, but on my own, I don't think I believe in ghosts. But at the same time, I found myself putting my hair in a bun before we entered the carriage house because I'd heard that George's wife had gotten her ponytail pulled in the past. So I guess that's kind, that kind of speaks a lot for these types of historical haunted houses. You might not believe the stories when you're looking at them from afar or an isolated incident, but when you're in the moment, sure you'll buy into it. At the end of the day, we have yet to be convinced. And still lacking personal experience with ghosts, our team moves on to Maine. 
There, we find death, ancient curses, and the spirits of slaves. Next week on Spirited.